Birthdays. Birthdays are important milestones. When we're younger, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, the arrival of another birthday meant two things. The opportunity for a party and the chance to get gifts. But then something changed. As we get up in our years, not speaking to anyone in particular this morning, a growing awareness of the passage of time overshadows our sense of celebration. As the candles on the cake start to add up, we tend to reflect more and take stock before we blow them out. Some of us may even wonder, can we blow all these candles out? Aging becomes less about the present and more about the present. You know, you do something stupid and someone you love tells you, you're not turning 17, you're turning 42. <sighs> For me, having another year under your belt is almost like a second New Year's Day. You know, you can make resolutions for the age you're becoming, and you can think about how you spent the last year living the age that you were, not fulfilling any of the resolutions that you made last year. And that, in this way, birthdays sometimes can, can become for us an occasion, not just for celebrating a year's worth of adventures or trials and tribulations, but also a time for maybe checking our pulse, seeing where we are and, and anticipating, getting some anticipation, finding our focus, our fire for the experiences that are still on the horizon. I bring all this up because today is our birthday. Many of us know this, some of us may not, but today is our birthday. Not my birthday, not your birthday, but our birthday. It's the birthday of the church. Day called Pentecost. Today, exactly 50 days after Easter, after Resurrection Sunday, today we remember how we and why we were reborn as the body of Christ. Over 2,000 years ago, God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to us, and we became something different, something new, something the world had never seen, the church. And like I said, on birthdays, as we celebrate this shared birthday, I think it's important for us to reflect on where we are, on where we're going, to reflect specifically on the greatest gift that is a part of our birthday celebration and that made our birthday possible, the gift of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want us to think about the person of the Holy Spirit. I want us to think about how empowered, how, sh how much have we been shaped or transformed by the Holy Spirit this year in our lives. As we look ahead to the future, how much are we relying on this inexhaustible power source for our future as the church? I want us maybe to step back and acknowledge how much do we really even understand the person of the Holy Spirit, what this day is all about? And to answer these questions, what I want us to do is I want us to look at two, what I think are two remarkable and challenging statements in the whole of the New Testament. They're in the Gospel of John chapter 7, just two verses, two verses that offer an invitation and a promise. Through these two statements, Jesus reveals the nature of our birth as believers, but he also reveals the means of our growth as disciples. They're right there in John chapter 7. I'll get to them in just a second. They're 37 through 39. But to appreciate the significance and magnitude of these two verses, we need to set the scene. John chapter 7 takes place a year before Jesus will be crucified on the cross. Jesus is celebrating, John tells us, in Jerusalem during what was known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, the Feast of Booths. 
These incredible words that Jesus shares with the crowd that we're going to get to in a moment, John tells us were offered on the last and greatest day of this feast. Therefore, a little history lesson is in order. The Feast of Tabernacles was the third in a series of Jewish feasts. It served a twofold purpose. First, it was just an expression of gratitude, just an expression, an expression of gratitude to the Lord for the harvest. It was kind of like our modern day Thanksgiving. Second, it was a commemoration, a memorial day, if you will, of God's miraculous and consistent provision as Israel journeyed from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land in Canaan. And the guidelines for this feast were outlined actually in Leviticus chapter 23. And what, was, what would happen is the people were required to leave their homes, their permanent residences, and build booths made of willows and palm branches. And during this time of celebration, about seven days, the people would live in these booths made of branches as a reminder of their nomadic days in the wilderness. And that's why this holiday season was also known not only as the Feast of Tabernacles, but of booths. And it was a time of pilgrimage in the days of Jesus. Observant Jews from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. The city of Jerusalem and the temple area were filled with these booths made from branches, constructed from willow and olive branches and palm branches, and they were decorated with grapefruits and other kinds of fruits. They, and these, all of the materials that were used to make the booths were found in the Kidron Valley, just east of the city. Each day of the feast, the Levites, the priests of Israel, would proceed down the road to the Pool of Siloam on the other side of the city. There they would fill a golden pitcher with water from that pool. And then the high priest would lead a processional through the city streets back to the temple. And he'd be accompanied by throngs of people singing and chanting, Hosanna to the Son of God, meaning, save us now, Son of David. And at the temple, this procession would be met by an even larger crowd of people praying a verse from the book of Isaiah, asking God to pour out upon them the wellspring of his salvation. As the group approached the water gate on the south side of the temple, a Levite would be up on the wall and would issue three loud blasts on the shofar, a trumpet made out of a ram's horn. And if you've never heard a shofar, John plays a pretty mean one for youth group now that we got back from Israel. The sound of the shofar alerted people who did not know, who had not heard that the celebration was taking place. And once inside the temple, the priest would carry this golden pitcher around the altar while singing what was known as the Hallel, a series of praise psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. And there were actually temple musicians who would sing from these psalms words like this, How will I repay the Lord for all the goodness he has given to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. The people most likely joined in the singing. And as they got to the last psalm, Psalm 118, all of the males in the crowd would shake a bunch of branches in one hand and then in the other raise a citrus fruit, symbolizing the harvest. And everyone in that moment would shout out three times, give thanks to the Lord. And at the culmination, the priest would then pour the water out of the pitcher onto the altar. And there before them was a symbol of what they had been praising and praying for God for, the wellspring of his salvation. This intricate ritual was designed, it was intended to guide the Israels both in looking back and in looking ahead. First, it reminded the people, in the most practical way possible, of God's provision of water. In that part of the world, of life. While traveling, not only in the desert, their ancestors, but life, water for their crops. They praised and thanked God. They remembered that the Lord had provided life, which provided the harvest, water. And out of that praise, they also prayed and confessed their dependence upon God for the coming rain next season. But also, within this observance, 
This image of this river of life was intended as a prophetic sign, as an assurance to Israel of her future. Whenever she found herself in the wilderness. And Israel at the time of Jesus when this was taking place was still in a sense in the wilderness. Back in the land that God had given to her but not in charge or in control of that land. Under Roman oppression. And so during this observance prophecies from Zechariah talking of a fountain that would come and purify the people in the land from sin. Prophecies from Ezekiel that spoke of a river coming out of the temple itself giving new life to the whole land were read aloud as fulfillment was enacted visually by the priests. The last day in particular the people would gather to anticipate that promised time when water was literally going to pour out of the temple. Water of such a depth that like a great river, the prophet said, it would bring life and healing and fruitfulness wherever it went. It's at this climactic moment, it's with this stage, on this last and greatest day of the festival, in this moment, you can sense it now, I hope, of the yearning and expectation of the people. This moment, Jesus stands up and says in a loud voice, seemingly coming out of nowhere, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You need to get the picture here. I want you to imagine the great crowd of people who were gathered together that morning for the culmination of this holiday. Let us think about their lives for a moment. Who were these people? What were their lives like? Think about their jobs. Think about their homes. Think about their communities. Think about the churches, the synagogues they came from. When they came, what did they bring to this great feast? What did they bring as they journeyed to Jerusalem? Hopes, dreams, hurts, expectations. What do you think they took away? What did you think they took away when it was all over as they packed up their tents, dismantled their, their booths, and went back to their homes and daily lives? Do you think they were any different or do you think they just went through the same old motions, finding themselves right back when they started? Nothing was different. You think they went home with maybe no added meaning, no greater power? The sense you get what John wants us, I think, to see in this is that the Lord is there for this, the entirety of this festival. He could speak up at any time, but he waits till the last moment. He's watching the people go through the motions, perfectly following the order of service as they did year after year after year after year for generation to generation. And I want you to understand, so you understand why Jesus' words not only were surprising, but shocking. This is a festival, remember, a party. Most people were drinking. Some were drinking wine. Everybody had water to drink. And so the reality is, I bet very few of them in the midst of that celebration were thirsty, physically. But Jesus could see, as he always does, beyond the physical into the spiritual. He saw a deep thirst of another kind, and so he stands up and cries out, Are you thirsty? Come to me. We need to hear this this morning, because, beloved, our Lord, Jesus is making the same invitation to us today. I mean, for so many of us, are our lives any different? 2,000 years later and going, counting, people go to church on Sunday. Heck, if we want to talk about Christmas and Easter, we got crowds in here. Crowds in here on Christmas and Easter on our holidays. And we have our remembrances. We have our rituals. We come to church. We observe the holy days, the holidays. We come, don't we, with, filled with hopes and dreams and expectations, with hurts 
with needs. And yet how many of us are just going through the motions? How many of us tend to go away empty and unfulfilled? I know too many people in the church who are bored to death. They churn through life half-heartedly. They churn through life half-heartedly, and the best that they can look for, and this is what church has become for them, they'll even speak in these terms as they look to be entertained. They're desperate for the next distraction to divert their attention from the deeper reality of what's going on not only in their lives but in the church. The fact that our lives together have no real meaning or purpose. And in the midst of that place where many of us don't want to admit we live, we need to hear words not just of yesterday but of today where Jesus startles us. Startles those of us who have gotten practiced at just going through the motions of religious ritual and ceremony without finding any true meaning, without sensing any real life, without coming away with any lasting victory. We are in the midst of a, of a cultural shift. You know it. It's evident by what's, what's around us, where we are a generation, maybe two, where the significance, the value of going to church, being a part of the church, is not understood. There's no answer given. We, we, we fight it, we ignore it, but the reality is, even amongst our kids, the best answer we can get from most of our kids of why do you go to church, why are you a part of the church is, well, because that's just what we do. If that's not an answer that's just going through the motions, I don't know what is. That's just what we do. Beloved, in the midst of that reality of us struggling, why are we here? What, why are, what, what are we supposed to be as the church? Jesus calls out to us. He calls out to us who feel as though we're dry. He calls out to us who feel, those of us who feel as though we're empty. He calls out to us who feel defeated and invites us to take the cup of our lives and allow it to overflow with God's grace and love. He who believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And if we were living water, what is he talking about? And the crowds, living water, what is he speaking of? John tells us that Jesus' statement about rivers of living water is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And water is an incredible symbol for the Holy Spirit. There's so many others we lift up, birds, doves, fire, but water is a powerful symbol of the Holy Spirit because water has a unique property. Water will conform to any space it's put in. A glass, a fishbowl, a pond, even the ocean. Water also goes wherever it's needed. When we drink water, we don't have to tell the water what part of the body it needs to go to. Water goes where it's needed. And water is a powerful image because so is the Spirit. The Spirit goes where it's needed. And the Spirit conforms to any environment that it's put in. It can fill in any space. Beloved, the Holy Spirit gives us power. And many of us who are bored, many of us who are going through the motions have disconnected, are missing out on this power that we have been given. The presence of Christ at work within us, leading and inspiring us. In fact, the very word inspire means literally to put the spirit in. If Pentecost is anything, if our birthday is anything, it's meant to be inspiring because it's the day that God inspired or put the spirit in the church. And yet for many of us, if we were to check our pulse, it's barely there. There once was a, a small fish in a river. He was swimming around minding his own business when he happened to stop by a group of humans standing by the riverside. It was a class taking a field trip. 
the little fish stopped and listened to the teacher speak. He heard the teacher say that water is one of the most important elements on earth. Without it, life could not exist and every creature on earth would die. Well, this disturbed the young fish and he frantically went looking for some water. He knew he had to have some of this stuff or he would die. So he went to a group of young fish playing and asked them if they knew where he could find some water. The young fish mocked him and told him to go away. He was ruining their fun. So the little fish went swimming down the stream and came upon an older, wiser fish. He asked the old fish where he could find some water. And the old fish looked and laughed at the scared little fish and said, you are swimming in water. It's all around you. Part of the reason why many of us go through the motions, that's become our default. Part of the reason why many of us are bored is because somewhere along the way, whether we consciously say it or not, we, we don't know where God is. We have this tendency within the church again to ask where God is. Oh, I know many of us, again, and this is going through the motions, we know the prayers, we know the songs, we know how to say the things that, to declare that God is with us, to declare that God is real. But the truth, where you really find out if you have a pulse is when that pulse needs to get elevated. When tragedy strikes, when things don't work out the way that we expect. Isn't it interesting that more and more people within the church, when tragedy strikes, when things happen that don't expect, that's the moment when people suddenly say, where is God? We wonder where God is. Sometimes, like the little fish, we get so deep in ourselves that we become convinced that God gave up on us. Some of us even say that about the church, that God has left the church. Some of us have even gone so far to say that, that that's why they don't need the church. This is becoming more and more of a reason of why I don't need to be a part of the church to be a Christian. And yet, we are on a day in which we don't exist as Christians without the Spirit bringing us together as the church. We believe that God is not with us. We believe that we're just going through the motions. But the reality is God's living water is always around us and within us. Jesus comes, and the first question we have to ask ourselves every day, not just on our birthday, but every day is, are we thirsty? Are we thirsty? When's the last time you even noticed if you were thirsty? Because in the midst of wherever we are, Jesus stands up and invites us to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be reborn. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus tells us to drink in deeply, to take in all that we can and more. And what Jesus is getting at, that why we need to get thirsty and why birthdays are so important, not just as the church, but as individuals, is birthdays are about realizing we are not here by accident. As individuals or as the church, we are here for a reason, for a purpose. Each one of us has been entrusted with resources, talents, and qualities that are a part of God's work of redemption. We spent the last few weeks looking at the beautiful, simple story of Ruth and came away with nothing, if nothing else, I hope, the, the startling news that God seeks to work out his redemption in the world through seemingly ordinary people like us. And why Ruth is so important is because we understand our identity. We understand our destiny through God's word. That's why we have this book. That's why we have the spirit. In the history of the church, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Word and spirit. You can't have the word without the spirit. You can't have the spirit without the word. The two go together. And for many of us in the church, it's always one or the other. 
Many of us know that the Bible, I should be reading my Bible, I should be studying my Bible, yet my Bible's everything I need. And yet how many of us have more than one Bible and yet we don't read it? We don't know it. Because we go, well, it's a complex book. Heck yeah, it's a complex book. It's a strange strange yet familiar story. The whole of it, we get fixated on the parts, but the whole of it is a strange and yet familiar story that seeks to teach us about who God really is and who we really are. And the more we learn and study this book, the more we know this God and the more we know ourselves in Jesus Christ. But it's not easy. It's not self-evident. And that's why God gives us his spirit. We need the person of the Holy Spirit to open up this book to us. Without the Holy Spirit, you're going to get nowhere. But with the Holy Spirit, you will grow in your understanding of who God is in Christ and who you are in Christ. Because the Spirit, first and foremost, that God gives us is a spirit of truth. We can read and study God's word and receive understanding. Now, I already see some of you, or I can see, I, it's hilarious, <laughs> the, fa the facial expressions. You've heard this before, word and spirit. You've heard before, oh, you just need the Holy Spirit and you can understand the Bible. And you're thinking, and I get it, Pastor, there are so many things I don't understand. I don't understand so many questions I still have, so I'm just not getting it. Here's the thing that we need to understand. Here's the part where we get it wrong. The Holy Spirit is not a secret decoder ring. The Holy Spirit's not a secret decoder ring. And the Bible is not about giving us comprehensive answers to every question that we have. That's where we are getting it wrong. There are going to be questions that elude us. But the, there are going to be things that we don't understand. The primary purpose why God gives us his word and then so gives us also his spirit together is not so that we can have the answer to every question that we have, not so we can make this into some kind of instruction manual or encyclopedia, but to bring us into relationship with this God and relationship with each other. The spirit equips us if we have received the Spirit, we have embraced that gift, the Spirit will equip us through God's Word to understand the moral and spiritual framework of this world in which we live in. The, world, the Word and the Spirit help us to understand who we are, why we are here, and what we are here for. Through the Spirit, we can read this book, and we may not have every question answered, but we can come to a definitive understanding of who God is and who we are. We can come to understand God so well and ourselves so well that we can understand that there's a huge gap between where we are and who God is, and that we need something. We need someone to bridge that gap. We can come to understand in the midst of a world that like Pontius Pilate before Jesus says, what is truth? Truth is whatever I define it to be, that there is absolute truth. That there, are, there is a moral center to the universe, but it's not defined by our philosophy. It's not defined by our think tanks. It's defined by understanding and knowing the very character of God. We are able to know by the word and through the spirit that I'm not just here for me. That I'm not alone, but that I exist and I've been created. And my purpose and my identity comes in the service I give to others. That I worship this God, I press into this God by giving myself away to those that God has put in front of me. We come to understand our purpose and our destiny together. We each have a calling in this life, but by word and by spirit, we come to understand that we fulfill that calling together. 
We are brought together and held together by the Holy Spirit. We are not the church because it's just what we do. We don't exist as the church because we're just going through the motions. The Spirit, almost despite our being asleep or bored, is bringing us together and transforming us. And when you open yourself up to that awareness, it's impossible to be bored. It's impossible to go through the motions because when you understand our birth, when you understand our identity as the church, when you understand that we exist together, you come to the realization, and it's not a realization that we like, that our choices, good or bad, are not private. Our choices, good or bad, affect each other. We come to understand that our lives are more interconnected than we can possibly realize. And one of the most profound, regular testimonies to that that Jesus gave us is this table and this sacrament. We could talk for hours about how we are different and we could struggle to where we are the same. This is the most authentic, foundational expression of our unity, our common union, our communion. And what is in the midst of all the differences of our personalities, genetics, where we come from, this is the, where we are unified. We are unified by our need. We need what this table offers. We need the grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We are united in that need. And we are united in that we are offered it together. And when you get that, I mean, people struggling about, you know, oh gosh, I don't know, baptism as an infant, baptism as an adult, you know, and getting fixated on the parts rather than missing the whole. When you understand by the Spirit and through the Word who this God is and who we are, when you understand the framework of this creation in which we live in, when you understand your identity and destiny in Christ, it changes everything else you do. Because the Holy Spirit opens us up suddenly to the realization that we're part of something larger than ourselves. We are suddenly aware that we're never alone. And we find ourselves, when we truly are open to the Word and the Spirit, being continually nudged towards that greater purpose of being worshipers of the Almighty God in all that we say and do. Now, I want to clarify something, though, because a couple of you are tracking with me, and you're like nodding your head, and if, you, if we were an African-American church, you'd be shouting, amen. amen. There you go. Okay. But I want to be careful, because part of why it's so important to talk about the Holy Spirit has been there's been a lot of abuse in the church with the Holy Spirit. Some of us love the Holy Spirit. Others of us are like, I get nervous. <laughs> nervous. And I get that. And let's address that. In the same time we've ignored the Holy Spirit or underplayed the Holy Spirit, sometimes we've also made the Holy Spirit into something the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit in our lives is not about getting psyched up. You know, for many people, they treat the Holy Spirit like a five-hour energy drink. You know, I'm not, feeling, I'm not really feeling it. I'm feeling kind of flat, kind of blah. I don't have any enthusiasm for my day or for my life, so I need to get psyched up. I need the Holy Spirit to just give me that, mmm, yeah. And biblically, that's, that's, not, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not about psyching us up. And for many of us, again, back to that going through the motions, those of us who don't go through the motions, we, we want to be fed. Fed, I gotta get fed, I gotta get fed, I gotta get, you know, gotta, gotta get the power. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's not about psyching us up. The Holy Spirit is about powering us up. When you understand, when you understand that the Holy Spirit is given to us together, 
so that we would understand this world we live in, this God that created us and how we relate to this God and to each other. When you understand what I like to call the moral and spiritual framework of the universe, it's not about getting psyched up. It's realizing that you've been powered up to live out of the love and grace that has been given into your life, that poured into your life. The Holy Spirit enables us, in other words, to bless other people. We don't exist to go through the motions. We don't exist to be bored. We exist to bless other people. The Holy Spirit enables us to live into our identity in Jesus, to live out of our calling in Christ and to be a blessing to others. The Spirit of Christ in us not only becomes our inspiration for living, but the source of strength by which we serve each other. And this is important because another thing that's a, a pattern in the church is how many people have, you know, we all know we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace alone and by faith alone. But how many of us in hearing that and we believe it, all of a sudden, I feel like every time we come to church, it's guilt fest. Jesus loved you so this much. You didn't have to do anything and he did all of this for you. So could you show him a little love? Could you forgive your enemies? Could you do all these things? And how many of us feel exhausted continually trying to live into some identity as a follower of Christ? Because the part we missed, that Jesus didn't miss, he gave us, is Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what, I did my work, peace out, good luck. <laughs> Jesus specifically said to those who would follow him, you can be like me. You can do what I do. You will do what I do. But it's going to come from me inside of you. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the ability to do this. The spirit of Christ in us not only is our inspiration for living. Why are we here? What are we here for? How have I been gifted and called? But it's also our source of strength. Because the very things that God is calling us to do, reconciliation, redemption, resurrection, is impossible. It's impossible on our own by our own strength. What, what God is purposing for us to do is crazy. It is. That's why people laugh. And if we try to do it in our own strength, they should laugh at us. And that's why any attempt as the church or as human beings, when we talk of world peace or we're going to build a better society, if we're divorced from the presence of the Holy Spirit, it ain't going to happen. Because just like a stream, and that's why Jesus uses the image that flows down from a great sea that nourishes life, we need the streams of living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us into each other's lives. It's not anything we do. It's the Holy Spirit flowing out of our lives into the lives of others. The Christian brings life. We bring life as Christians because we bring the Spirit. As followers of Jesus, we don't bless others in order to win praise or to convince anyone that Christianity is true. And that's, again, what we think we're about. We got we to gotta make the church relevant. We got to prove to people that the church matters, that the church is significant. We got to do something so people understand how vitally important the church is. We've got you know, to save people. We've got to convince them Christianity is true. We're failing in our job. Both of those things are not what we're here for. We're not here to win praise or to win people over or to try to save people. We bless others. We exist as witnesses. We do what we were created to do when we simply submit and surrender ourselves to this spirit that is at work within us and let the waters flow. When we allow this Christ who has redeemed us and reconciled us and already begun to resurrect us to flow out of who he's making us to be. 
So as Paul calls us ambassadors in Christ, our role as ambassadors in Christ is not to sit in judgment on the world or to bind people to our rituals and expectations. And again, is that not the stereotypical image of the church? We exist as the church to pass judgment on everybody. People don't want to be a part of the church because they don't want to, all they know is what we're against. All they know is what we're ticked off about. And then when they come into the church, we're going to tell you how to do it the right way. you got to do it our way. That's not our role at all. The Christian, the church, we're not, our job is not to pour stagnant, stinking water on the joy and faithfulness of others. We are instead called to bring living water. We bring encouragement. That's what we do. We bring grace-filled correction. I'm not saying we agree with everything that's going on, but we don't pass judgment. We bring grace-filled correction. And grace-filled correction means we don't send an email. We don't do a blog. We show up in person. And we say, you know what? We don't agree, but we're here to work it out with you. And we're not going to leave because we can't have anything to do with people we disagree with. In fact, we're called to the very people that we disagree with. So we're sticking. We don't say, and I'm sorry, i got to say this out loud because this is coming to me and I'm going to get in trouble, but we don't say to the gay and lesbian community, we're going to put you behind an electrified fence until you all die. And honestly, and I don't do this often, more of us as Christians need to start standing up and saying, that man, that kind of Christian doesn't speak for me. Because if we don't, our silence says something different. That is not who we are created to be. We bring grace-filled correction. We bring encouragement. We bring hope. Christians don't complain and dispute and want to argue with everybody, Christians joyfully serve and redeem. They agree without being disagreeable. Beloved, it's so important that we understand who we are and how we understand who we are is, again, by receiving this Holy Spirit that God is pouring into our lives and allowing that Spirit to draw us into the Word. We need to understand this because these living waters that Christ wants to flow out of us are so desperately needed to a world that is scorched and dry. The world, Paul says, creation is waiting for its redemption, groaning. And once again, we heard it through Ruth, we're hearing it through John. God's plan is through us. Through us. Jesus' invitation here, his promise that came true, came to fruition on Pentecost, is a historical event. But like all birthdays, it's more than just a historical event. Our birthday as the church happened on the day of Pentecost. We became the body of Christ. But as with all birthdays, when birthdays come around, we don't just celebrate a past event. We acknowledge in that moment and reclaim our birth and our identity as a means of living now and heading into the future. The gift of the Holy Spirit, if you will, is the gift that keeps on giving. Jesus is every day issuing that call again and again. Are you thirsty? Come and drink. Do you desire satisfaction? Are you bored? Come and drink. Are you just going through the motions? Because you've just basically, that's just what we do. Come and drink and learn some new motions. Are you weighed down by the struggles of this life? Are you overwhelmed by the things that have been done to you or you've done unto yourself? Come and drink. Jesus calls us to follow him, to be filled by him, and his promise comes to fruition in our lives when we respond to his invitation to come to me. Beloved, the moment that I recognize my spiritual thirst, the moment that I recognize that spiritual thirst and I give it to Christ, 
I make possible the opening of an inner faucet which allows the water to flow into me and out of me. And when I surrender, when I submit to my thirst and to the only one who can satisfy it, Christ, my life changes. My family changes, my marriage changes, my workplace changes, my church changes, my neighborhood changes. If we're not seeing transformation, it's because maybe we're putting more emphasis on ourselves and not simply stepping back and saying, Spirit, go. Work through me. Change me. You know, I, I preached this uh, sermon a couple of years ago, uh, not the same sermon, but similar. I, I mean, you know, it doesn't really change. The message is the same. To an African-American congregation. And I titled the sermon because I thought I was being cute. Is it in you? Um, you remember the Gatorade commercial? The sec- first source didn't remember this. So please, somebody tell me they remember this Gatorade commercial, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Gatorade commercial, athletes working out, you know, and it's like, the only re- I can finish and I go the extra. I win the game because of Gatorade. Is it in you? Okay. So I, I, that was my sermon title, and that's kind of the analogy I made of, you know, so the big question is, is it in you? And finally, at some point, and by the way, if you've never been to an, Af- an African-American service, they're shouting at you the whole time. I mean, just, just whether it's, do better, you know, or keep preaching. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I, I, I'm repeating, is it in you? And finally, someone says, the Holy Spirit isn't an it. Holy Spirit's a person, Pastor. I bring this up. They were right. But here's the last piece on this. Part of the problem with us with the Holy Spirit is we speak about the Holy Spirit as an it. And the Holy Spirit is a person. Many of us, whether we like the Holy Spirit or we don't, treat the Holy Spirit as like an add-on accessory. No, no, this is important. If you don't understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, what you also don't understand is that if if you reject or ignore the Holy Spirit, then you don't fully know the person of God. If the Holy Spirit is a person and is the person of God, then you really have to question how well do you know this God. If you sit here today and you say that you're a Christian but do not know and have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, I think you need to rethink that one. The Holy Spirit is a person. Beloved, are you here this morning as a Christian yet not in relationship with his Spirit? Are you here as a Christian trying to witness to your faith, trying to meet the needs of this world out of your own human strength, or are you willing to submit and tap out of the potential and presence of the Holy Spirit that is within you? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never said it to anybody else, but you just have been going through the motions and you've never even really even embraced Jesus' invitation at all. If that's you, Jesus is standing before you today and saying, if you're thirsty... Come to me and have a drink. If you're here this morning and the landscape of your life feels more like a barren desert than a fruitful garden, I'm telling you, say yes this morning. Say yes to Jesus today. Bring your thirst. Open up to his word. Put your trust in him and let the waters of refreshment of his Holy Spirit flow out of his life into yours. And for those of us who are familiar with the Holy Spirit, let us not worry about the extremes. Instead, let us just continue to pray what has been the simplest prayer of the church outside of the Lord's Prayer. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Because if we are devoid of the power of that Spirit, we don't exist as Christians and we don't exist as the church. The power of our lives, our identity and our purpose as the church only comes by the presence of Christ through the person of his spirit. Without the gift of the spirit, the church dries up and withers away and we are left with our broken selves.
So if you're here this morning and you've squelched the spirit out of your life because of fear, or if you're here this morning and you have <laughs> just gone to town with the Holy Spirit, but you've gotten so psyched up that you've abused and manipulated that spirit out of pride in the church, all of us together, let us cry out in repentance. Let us get back to our foundation. Let us pray for ourselves and the church worldwide. Let us pray for the Spirit to be given afresh to us today. Because with the gift of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, all things are possible, church. All things are possible. Through the presence of the Spirit, we can become a community of faith with eyes open, with hearts inspired, and with hands and feet ready to make a difference in this world in the name of Christ. So here you are this morning. Are you thirsty? Bring yourself. Bring the picture of your life half full, chipped, or empty. And pray for the floodgates to open. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let Jesus be glorified. May your living waters, Christ, pour out from within us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.